welcome to Ice to See podcast. My name is Brittany, and I am so grateful that you are here and listening to this special episode of Hugs from Heaven, part two, part one we shared last week, and we are moving to part two. This episode, I'm so excited um, to have a special guest with us today, and um, this special guest is actually one of my favorite uncles. I have other ones, so don't think that you're not my favorite too, but um, I have my favorite uncle with me tonight, and um, his name is Stuart Larson, and he actually lives in Utah. And just a few things about him that I wanted to share. Um, I got the help of his sweet wife, and then I also had some personal things that I wanted to share that I remember, um, especially growing up. So maybe this will jog his memory a little bit, but um, him and my sweet aunt, um, Brianna have been married for almost 30 years and they have six amazing kids. And, um, my aunt Brianna has mentioned that on their very first Valentine's date day, day, he won her heart by serrating her in public by playing his guitar and seeing somewhere, something in the way she moves by James Taylor and a dozen red roses. That's so cute. <laughs> and she said, I was a goner after that. She also went on to say that um, Stuart loves to do almost anything outside. He especially loves skiing, hiking, cycling, backpacking, and ultimate frisbee, not necessarily in that order. Um, he, she also said that he loves playing his guitar and singing James Taylor or John Denver songs. And she said that they, as a family, especially love when he sings campfire songs at the cabin with crazy accents, which that was actually one of my favorite things that I remember is growing up is singing, um, and I don't even know if people are going to know this and I'm not going to sing it, but the great green globs of greasy, grimy gopher guts. Does that ring a bell? <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it was one of my favorites. And, um, I, for those of you that, that, I, you know, don't know, but he, my uncle is the best on the guitar and he, would always sing the song moon shadow. And I remember like ever since I was little, that was like, I always wanted him to play it and we'd always sing with him. So he is just an amazing man and uncle and husband and brother. And I'm so honored that you are here with us and to share your story with everyone that's listening. And hopefully they'll be able to feel something and be touched by what is said. So anyways, um, with that being said, welcome to my uncle Stu. He is here with us. Thanks, Britt. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And uh, I was saying earlier that uh, I've appreciated what you've done on your podcast so far. And I think uh, anytime that we can share a little bit of light, uh, the better. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So I kind of want to go backwards a little bit um, to why we're having this amazing conversation and just kind of explain tell your story um, and kind of where it started. I know that it started November 3rd was the day that this unfolded. And so I'm just going to kind of let you take it away and kind of share your story of what exactly happened that day. Okay. <laughs> or where you want to begin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's fine. So I, um, so November 3rd was election day. Uh, and as 
Britt mentioned, I have a fond, uh, a passion really for being in the mountains. And so um, that day I had decided to go for a hike with two of my good friends who, uh, for those who are listening, who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, this was a a stake young men's presidency meeting. <laughs> um, so it was it was three of us that were discussing um, those matters and then hiking at the same time. So um, we live on the east side of the Salt Lake Valley, and we live underneath a mountain called Mount Olympus, which is a fairly prominent peak in the valley. It's about just over 9,000 feet tall. But um, so it's not the, the tallest peak along the Wasatch Front, but it is one of the most prominent ones. And if you're looking from downtown Salt Lake, it's very, uh, it's a big face. And so it, it it looks like a Mount Olympus, even though it's not in Greece. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really and so does. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were going to climb this mountain and the main trail is on the west side of the hill. And so it's about a 4,000 foot elevation gain in just over about four miles. And so we set out later in the afternoon than we were intending. And um, <laughs> we, we huffed it up there pretty quickly. So we got to the top uh, in just about two and a half hours. And uh, when we got to the top, my friends and I had discussed the possibility of coming down through a different uh, canyon rather than up the trail that we had been on. And the only problem is that that trail doesn't exist. It's just uh, basically picking your way through boulders and and over some pretty treacherous terrain. Um, but my friends had both done it before, I hadn't. And so I trusted them and, and we decided to go for it. It was a beautiful day, the temperature was nice. It was still early enough in the afternoon that we felt like we could get down without headlamps. Um, and even if we did, we had, if we needed to, we had our headlamps. And so we were prepared for that. And we were generally prepared. I mean, we were all pretty experienced outdoor people. And so we had, extra clothing and water and food and, you know, all the stuff that we might need if we needed it. So we, we started down the backside of the mountain and um, down climbed about a uh, thousand feet. Um, and the views from that side of the mountain are just spectacular. And so we really kind of took our time and enjoy the views and we're very careful. And we got through the most treacherous part pretty quickly um, and so by about 5, 15, 5.30, we were making our way over to the ridge for the canyon that we were going to exit out of. Um, and the sun went down. It was a little bit earlier than we were used to because of daylight savings time. Um, so by 5.30, it was starting to get dark. And we were picking our way through just different uh, boulder fields and scree fields um, until we got to... Um, uh, this one particular ridge line, and I was following behind one of my friends about 15 yards, and the other one I thought was behind me, but he was actually up further, and they had both rounded the ridge line before me, and what I all I remember was um, bending down to look at my foot placement on a particular ledge, so it was about a three or four foot ledge that dropped down onto a scree field, and for those who don't know what a scree field is, it's just a it's a big rock pile. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's just basically a place that has, it's pretty steep that has a lot of rocks, you know, various sizes. And so they're kind of hard to walk on because you push rocks down. It's like a rock slide almost. Um, sometimes you get a little vegetation growing in there, but not much. So I was at the top of this ledge above this scree field. I didn't even realize it was a scree field below me. 
And I, I remember ducking down under a branch and, um, and I had just switched my headlamp from a spotlight to more of a, a broader field of view. So as I looked down, my eyes were maybe just not adjusted completely. And I put my foot in what I thought was a stable place. And the next thing I know, I felt it just slip out from underneath me. And um, the next few seconds were just the strangest uh, combination of kind of physical sensation as well as thoughts going through my head because I didn't get knocked out, at least not at the top that I know of. <laughs> I thought I was pretty conscious the whole time. Um, and, and so I, I fell the first few feet off the ledge and then I hit and then I started to tumble. And so as I tumbled over this rocky scree field, I just remember thinking, you know, first of all, I thought, oh no, this is happening again. And, and a little bit of background in May of last year, I had a mountain bike accident where I was down in Moab, Utah, and I fell off of about a seven foot ledge oh <laughs> on a mountain goodness. bike. And so, <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so um, the, the first reaction I had was, oh no, not again. And, um, and then I started to tumble and I don't think I realized how fast I was moving and how far I was traveling with each time I hit the hill. Um, but I just kept going and, and my headlamp flew off within the first few feet. So I was just tumbling in darkness and, and, you know, your body kind of goes into uh, kind of crisis mode, I guess, because I don't remember even really feeling pain as I'm hitting all these rocks. Um, and then I hit my head on a particular rock and I had enough consciousness to think to myself, I just, I think I just cracked my skull because <laughs> it made this awful sound. It made this horrible cracking sound. And so as I kept tumbling, um, I finally um, just stopped. I, I came to a stop and I, uh, I thought I would had gotten tangled up inside of a, of a bush or a, a, a shrub. And I came to find out later it was a, it was actually a tree. So it was a downed tree, an old pine tree that was pointing uphill and when I hit it, I didn't realize at the time, but I sheared off like three or four branches that were, you know, anywhere from a half inch to an inch thick <laughs> and uh, just broke those off. And that's what stopped me from falling even further. So, wow. you know, I, I was just sitting there stunned. And the, the first thought that went through my mind was, um, oh, no, what am I going to tell my wife? <laughs> and, yeah, that's a good thought to have. <laughs> and, and so I was a little embarrassed, you know, it's like now I've got to tell her, you know, that I had another fall. Um, but then the next thing I thought was, OK, I just got to get up. I got to stand up and get out of here because I don't even want my friends to have to come down here. I'm going to have to hike back up this hill to catch up to them. Um, and so I put some weight on my arm and I tried to push up and, and I couldn't bear the weight. My, my arm wouldn't, wouldn't hold it. And then I had suddenly just realized how, you know, really beat up I was. And then I worried about my head. So I put my hands up on my head and I could feel a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah. And I also, you know, felt like there was a, some sort of a divot up there. And so I thought, oh no, I've, I've cracked my skull or I've yeah. knocked something, some, anyway. So I, I pulled up my, my sweatshirt over my head and started applying pressure. And part of the, the problem was that I'd take a, a prescription anticoagulant uh, for another issue that I had a few years ago. 
And so bleeding is a big deal for me. And so um, I was just trying desperately to try and stop the bleeding on my head. And about that time, I heard my friends start to come to me and I had tried to call for help, but it was the weirdest thing. I couldn't really verbalize um, the words, you know, I, I tried to yell for help, but it's like, I, I just couldn't say it or even get enough breath out to, to say it loud enough. Um, so what had happened is they, my two friends had gone around the ridge line ahead of me. They didn't hear or see anything. They, they didn't even know what had happened yeah. until they got over there. They found each other, but they didn't find me. And they said to each other, you know, Hey, where's Stu? And they started calling for me and I didn't respond. So they worked their way back around to the top of the scree field and they covered up their headlamps and then they could see mine shining. And so they walked over to where that the lamp was, my headlamp, and they realized what had happened. And so then they start calling for me and I didn't respond. But then they said that they did hear, did hear kind of a garbled moan at some point, yeah. which was oh. me trying to yell for help. Yeah. And so they they couldn't see me, but they could kind of hear me. And so they went wide. They didn't want to push any rocks down on me. And they came down the scree field until they finally found me tangled up in that tree. And, and you know, to their credit, they totally kept their cool and jumped to the rescue quickly. Um, and, and again, I was pretty conscious and coherent, at least I think I was, <laughs> um, except for when the, um, so they, they did two things immediately that were really great. So first of all, you know, they just told me to stay still and they started, you know, trying to assess the situation and, you know, calm me down and, and just said, and I, I wasn't really panicked. I was just more embarrassed than anything. <laughs> um, and, and then they said, you know, we want to say a quick prayer and give you a priesthood blessing. And so it was, um, it was really great to have that faith component right in the middle of this experience. And yeah. so we, we said a quick prayer and then they, they kind of put their hands on my head where they could <laughs> and, uh, and gave me a quick blessing. And in that blessing, um, my friend promised me that I would, that the bleeding would stop and that I would have a full recovery. And uh, later he told me, he said that he kind of woke up that night or in the, in the next few days, just thinking, what have I done? I, I can't, I don't think I should have blessed him with a full recovery <laughs> because he didn't, he didn't know if that was even possible because sure. we really didn't know the extent of the injuries. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that was, that was um, a great comfort so then uh, they they started you know calling nine one one and thanks to the f fact that we were within eyesight of the valley, uh, they got cell coverage immediately, which was really a blessing. Um, and so they reached out to the search and rescue team, and pretty soon they started coordinating, trying to assess the the significance of my injuries, trying to figure out if they needed to send in a helicopter. They sent two ground teams immediately up to try and retrieve me. Um, but we were so high up and the the terrain was so rugged that um, it would have taken them a lot longer than it would have for a helicopter. And at one point, the, the search and rescue team said, can you just take a picture of his head so we can kind of see how bad the bleeding is? And so um, they had me pull my hands down and they took some really gruesome pictures that uh, I, I would share with you, but uh, I don't think I want those floating around. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you do either. <laughs> but I've seen them. I've seen them, but well, I guess maybe not those ones, but 
they're it, yeah we we get the idea mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we um ended up um so i just put my hands back up on my head because that was the only way i could stop that bleeding um and in, at the same time i also realized that i had uh, some pain and wetness in my left leg and so my friends kind of pulled up my pant leg and there was another gash in there that we think came from the tree um and it went all the way down to the bone and you know a big gash in my in my shin so they grabbed my first aid kit out of my backpack that i had thrown in at the last minute before i came um and they took one of my my gloves that i had brought that uh and then they just created a compression bandage on my on my shin that actually stayed on well into the evening after i got to the trauma center so that was great that i had that um that resource there and that they were again cool enough and calm enough and experienced enough to really just kind of take this in stride. So the uh, the search and rescue team finally decided that uh, this was um, worth sending in a helicopter. And they said, unfortunately, it takes a while for us to get these things mobilized. So you need to hunker down and plan on spending about another couple of hours <laughs> oh my sitting goodness. on the side of this hill waiting for the chopper to get there. So we kind of just made ourselves at home and, you know, they were trying to prop up my back a little bit and that, that didn't really help. Um, and trying to make me comfortable and giving me water. And uh, at one point we tried to eat a protein bar and it was just, I couldn't move. I'd broken my cheek. I didn't know that at the time, but I had a cracked cheek, uh, upper, upper mandible. And then, um, and I also didn't know it at the time, but I had actually broken my neck. Um, and so I shouldn't have been doing anything except holding completely still. So it was, um, a little dangerous. Um, finally the, the two hours later, uh, the chopper comes in and they lowered a rescuer, uh, who came over and, you know, started talking to us and helping us, you know, assess the situation. And, and, uh, one of the first things he did was, um, bandage my head so I could bring my hands down finally. Oh, after about two and a half hours oh, of holding them up there. I don't know how you did that for so long. <laughs> it was, it was hard. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. And so then I, um, uh, then the, the rescuer and my friends kind of worked this, this hammock sling seat underneath me. And then, you know, they, they, they brought down the cable again and connected me to it and, and then hoisted me up the hill or up off the hill. And uh, it was a little surprising. I got to the the chopper and uh, they didn't bring me in, which is kind of what I was expecting. And I thought, boy, I wonder how they're going to get me into the helicopter. Well, they didn't. Uh, they just let me hang from the side of the helicopter and they flew me down the canyon all the way down to the um, parking lot of a nearby middle school. And then they just literally lowered me right off the, uh, the helicopter onto a gurney and uh, took me to an ambulance um, and then drove me up to the trauma center. Um, and after I had been lifted off, my friends went back up and they took a video of the fall zone. And, um, and I have it. And it's pretty, it's pretty cra- crazy to look at. But anybody I've showed it to says, I, don't, I can't believe your injuries were more severe than what, than what they were. Yeah. Um, they calculated it was about a 100-foot tumble over rocks and shrubs and trees. And um, in the final assessment, I, I broke my shoulder. So I broke my, my upper humerus. Um, I broke my cheek and I broke my neck at C2, which is usually fatal. 
or, you know, leads to paralysis, depending on what happens. Um, then I broke my C7. And then I had two more fractures in my lower back in T5 and T6. Um, and then I just had these massive lacerations on my head and on my shin that took about two and a half hours for the, uh, the plastic surgeons to sew up. Wow. <laughs> they, they lost track of the sutures. They, I don't think they even counted. So it was, oh it was just goodness. a lot of sewing. So anyway, that's, that's the, uh, that's the gory part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not too bad for, for the rest. We didn't have to see visual. So that probably, that's just, I, I watched the video cause I know there was like a search and rescue video that they had posted. And I, I did watch that and I was so, there almost was like, and you probably obviously felt it because you were there, but there is like a piece that was there. Um, even in all this chaos, like your friends that were with you were so calm and collected and, and, and so were you like when I, I remember in the video, the chopper guy came down and asked you like, how are you doing? And you just were like, I'm just hanging in there. <laughs> and I was like, of course, that's what he would say. Like that is, that is my, oh, that is my uncle. And so I, I, and then I think they asked you, um, I can't remember. They asked you something else and it was something like, I don't even know now that I'm thinking about it, but they asked you another question and you just were just so like easygoing. And I was just, I, I was in awe that that was this, like, it was like this sacred moment on this mountain in the middle of this chaos and how hurt you were that everyone was just so calm and at least from what I could tell from, from the search and rescue video. And so I, <laughs> I think I, I know there were special angels with you that day that yeah. were definitely helping you for sure. Well, it's, it's in hindsight, it's been really interesting to reflect on what happened and what could have happened and what didn't happen. And, um, and just so people know, the the rescuer was wearing a GoPro when he came down. And I don't know if that's standard practice or not, but um, maybe they knew it was going to be kind of um, sensational. And so it uh, was. <laughs> so he wore it was his a camera. Good movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I looked at the at the YouTube video the other day, and I think there was over a thousand views of that thing. So it's See, like I'm telling you, it was really. I was so good. I like, I, I, not that it was, it just, I think it was just like awe inspiring to see when, I don't know. It just, it was not that you, because of what happened, but I think it was just really, I don't know. It was a good, it was a good movie. Sorry. That's why you have lots <laughs> of people okay. watched it. <laughs> That's okay. Well, you know, what was, what was interesting in the moment was, um, you know, I never felt a sense of panic. Um, I never really felt a sense of fear. I, I was, I was confident that I hadn't been injured to the point where I wasn't going to make it, you know? And, and if you look at the pictures, I had lost a lot of blood. So my, my face was pretty ashen. Um, and, but I, it was the strangest thing. I didn't ever feel like I was, um, um, really afraid, you know, really scared of anything. And maybe that's just cause I'm old and, and, and you're not that I'm, old. <laughs> I'm not afraid, you know, of whatever comes next. And so it's like, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
but I, you know, as I was laying there um, waiting for the chopper, I did start to go into shock. And so if, if there was ever a point kind of where it was really uncomfortable, it was where I was, I was trembling so much that I really couldn't control it. And, and so, um, you know, I do endurance sports, like I used to run marathons and I ride bikes and such. And so I've, I've learned, you know, to kind of control my breathing and to really be able to focus and hopefully bring my body into under control when it gets to that point. But so between that and the fact that, you know, my friends covered me up in a bunch of uh, the extra shells and, and layers that we had. And they also, it was funny, they started a fire or tried to start a fire. Um, the funny story is that we had had a wildfire up that canyon in um, earlier in the fall. So mm-hmm. like in September, October. And so just over that ridge where we were, there had been a wildfire. So here we were starting a fire right there. And it was like, <laughs> maybe that's not such a good idea, but we needed the heat. So yeah. so they finally got one started. Um, and, and that kind of helped a little bit too. But you know, for the two hours. And, and the thing that was going through my mind was, man, I, that's going to be a while. Cause they told us it was going to take a couple of hours to get up there. And I remember just thinking, um, I can do this. You know, I, um, I've done harder things, uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've, I've pushed myself physically and I, I know what that takes. And, um, and so I just started focusing on my breathing and really tried to just um, you know, staying in control of my thoughts. And, and it was really interesting. At one point, there was almost kind of a feeling of peace that came over me as I was strangely looking, you know, under my arm as I'm holding it over my head, looking out over the valley. It was a spectacular view. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, wow, the valley is really pretty tonight. And I just had this kind of, you know, almost out of body sort of feeling. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here bleeding on the side of a mountain with yeah. several broken, you know, bro- bones and whatever other injuries I didn't know about at the time. And, and, uh, and I just remember thinking, I can still appreciate the fact that that is really pretty. <laughs> I know. Um, and that says a lot about you as a person, because <laughs> I don't think I would be so just like, oh, that is so great out there. And the lights <laughs> are sparkling and yeah, so I think it says a lot about you and your character of how just like you're cool and calm and collected and it showed yeah. in the middle of a really chaotic situation. So Well, and and I don't want to underplay the fact that I do think that the 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 blessing and the prayer made sure. a huge difference and just Absolutely. the I felt like the spirit was there and Yeah. And you know, in in hindsight, so, you know, I when I got to the the hospital um, and they took me into the trauma unit and they, you know, start cutting your clothes off and doing all kinds of crazy things. And, and, and you just kind of, again, it's kind of this weird, surreal out of body experience where you're just thinking, you know, I wonder what they're going to find. I mean, I, I know I'm bleeding significantly. I know I've got these injuries. So, you know, you're just sitting there, but there was just a feeling of confidence, you know, just almost, a um, a feeling of, I wouldn't call it peace necessarily, but just a, a lack of fear, you know? Yeah. And, and so it, I was in the trauma center for about eight hours and then they dispatched me to a, uh, ICU, um, because they wondered if I had some brain hemorrhaging that mm. uh, they were worried about, uh, and they thought they might need to go in and operate, but fortunately that didn't happen. 
So um, after that, I was in the hospital for about three days. And ironically, the, the room that I had was facing due south. And so I could see Mount Olympus <laughs> and the scree field where I'd fallen from my bed. And, oh my uh, gosh. It was a, it was a little reminder of where I was when all that happened. But um, so anyway, the recovery has been um, interesting. Uh, two, two interesting points that I was going to just make sure I told you about. So the first one was that, um, you know, in, in the trauma of the, of the, of the day, you've got doctors coming in and telling you stuff and, and telling you what's happened to you. And you're kind of, you hear what they're saying, but you don't hear everything that they're saying. And that's why my dear wife was so great to be there. And we also have a daughter who's in medical school. And so (laughs) we relied on her heavily also to help interpret things. Sure. Um, and so then, um, after I got discharged though, I went in to see the neurosurgery clinic for a follow-up and I had to wear a neck brace cause I'd broken my neck. Um, and it was funny in the hospital, they told me I, I one doctor came in and said I was going to be able to go home without the neck brace. Another doctor came in and said, no, you got to wear it for five weeks. And then a week or two weeks after I got discharged, I went back in for a follow-up and that doctor said, well, actually you have to wear it for 12 weeks. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> I just got the neck brace off about uh, two weeks ago. Oh, you did. Tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but when I went in for that first follow-up visit with the neurosurgery clinic, uh, the doctor said, you, you have a really interesting thing going on in your neck. Um, she said, since you're so old, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good way to start the conversation <laughs> she she said and, and everybody has it they just don't maybe realize it and I didn't realize it but I had arthritis in my neck oh and so my c2 and my c3 vertebrae had fused together at okay. least partially and so I broke my c2 in what's called a hangman's fracture so it's it's broken on both sides of my vertebrae and it's the bone that breaks when you get hung and uh, usually, you know, the the effect is that it kills people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But apparently, because my C3 had fused to my C2, it kept it from doing any damage. Oh, and my so God. I had absolutely no paralysis from that and um, no damage to my spinal cord. So that was that was a little miracle. Yes. Um, that's a, mm-hmm. a big one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a really um, big one. And then the other one was that I went into the uh, orthopedic f- clinic. I, I've become really good friends with all the doctors. <laughs> I bet you have. I bet that, yeah, you guys are going to be yeah. best friends before this is all said and done, <laughs> yeah. if you're not already. So so I went in and uh, to the orthopedic center, and they were the ones working on my shoulder. And it was my first follow-up visit. So it was only, I think, three weeks after the, the accident. And, um, they took an x-ray and, and the PA came in and she said, you, you've got something kind of miraculous going on in your shoulder because I can't see the fracture. It, it looks like I, I can't even tell where it was. And so my daughter, my med student daughter was with me at the time. And we said, well, can we look at the x-ray and, you know, see the before and after. And so she brought both of them up and sure enough, you know, the night of the of the accident, the first X-ray that they took, you could see this big crack in my humerus. And she's then the PA said, you know, usually after a few weeks, it actually almost can sometimes look worse because it's starting to calcify and 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 mend. Um, but she said, I can't even tell where it was. So 
you've been wearing that sling for three weeks. Why don't you take that off and you don't have to worry about that anymore. So wow. that was, that was another tender mercy or, or a bit of a miracle. Yeah. So um, between that and, and the fused vertebrae, um, you know, I, I have to believe that there were some, and, and just the fact that I didn't impale myself on the tree. I had no internal injuries. I, I beat up my head and my right and my left side of my body a lot, but I didn't break my nose. I didn't lose any teeth. I didn't lose my eyes, you know? So my, my face could have been just thrashed. Yeah. Um, like the top of my head was, but um, it wasn't. And um, I didn't crack my skull after all, you know, so maybe I have a thicker head than I thought. Um, <laughs> maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In some cases. And yeah. uh and so in, in the final analysis, the other thing was that the, uh, the chopper came in. There was no wind. It was a very, very calm night. And the, uh, on the video, you can even hear the, the, the rescuer saying, you know, I can just feel a little bit of breeze on my cheek, but that's it. You know, there's just nothing. So the extraction went perfectly. Yeah. Um, couldn't have had better weather. I hit the tree and uh, that stopped me from falling farther. <laughs> so, and again, I, could have had a lot more damage from that tree, but it didn't. So, you know, I, I just am so incredibly thankful for whatever happened that night. Um, and, and I have to believe there was, you know, some deeper purpose for my, for the safety that I had and, and that it wasn't just lucky. Yeah. Um, absolutely. That, you know, if I, if I really am honest with myself and look back, I have to say there was something more going on there. And, um, so I, I would feel, I would feel funny about saying it was just luck because <laughs> yeah, I know it, it was much more than mercies. luck. <laughs> yeah. 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 Most definitely. So with this whole process that you've been going through, because I know that you're, you're still in recovery. It wasn't that long ago. It may feel like, does it seem like it was that long ago? Does it seem like it was a while ago that this happened? Yeah, it feels like it's been a long time. Um, but then when I think back, it's only been over three, just a little over three months. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I haven't been skiing yet this year. Um, but that was, I was going <laughs> to ask you about that, <laughs> <laughs> which has been a little hard. Uh, but at the same time, it hasn't been a very good snow year. So my wife keeps telling me that it's a sign. Uh, you, haven't, you haven't missed anything. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, but then this week it's been a really heavy snow week. And so now the, the skiing's getting really good and. Um, so I'm now I hopefully have some motivation to, to get back out there, but my doctors are telling me you'll be lucky if you even get, you know, a couple of days in near the end of the season, but yeah. I'm going to see what I can do. <laughs> well, I have a feeling you'll be out there sooner than we all think that you should. So, <laughs> <laughs> so with this whole process, how has it changed your view of things with, um, just things that either you're grateful for or, like you've mentioned, the tender mercies are, there's so many in your story to even name or think about that. Um, but what has really stood out to you in this whole process of how you view things and how you are, I know you mentioned that, you know, you're grateful and know that it was, I mean, you did, you had special angels with you. I just know it. And I know that they protected you and helped you, but but yeah, so how, how has your view of things in life changed? 
you know, I think my understanding will continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like with each passing day, um, I think about it differently and, and I kind of see different aspects that I hadn't thought about before. So it's kind of an evolving understanding, but I would say a, a few things. Um, first of all, it's really uh, reminded me of how fragile life is. Um, you know, there was an accident up uh, a canyon very close to where I had my accident just a couple weeks ago where some backcountry skiers uh, triggered an avalanche and four people were killed. And the exact same rescue teams that were working on me were lifting bodies off of a hill rather than, you know, injured hikers. And, and I just, I think it comes, it, it's, it's given me an opportunity to really appreciate how, how fragile and, and sacred life is and that we need to, um, we need to appreciate it perhaps more than we do. We get so wrapped up in the, the thick of thin things as they say. And, um, it's so easy to lose that perspective. So I, I'm grateful that it helped me, you know, wake up a little bit and see, um, really just how precious life is. Um, I think another huge insight from this is that, um, and (laughs) it's funny, I can talk about almost every aspect of this experience without getting emotional, except for this one. Um, so I apologize. Um, and, and that is that, um, you know, the, uh, um, the angels that are around us, there's, there's the unseen ones. And then there's the, the seen ones, the ones that we can see. And, uh, the ones that you can see are, are much more plentiful than you may ever realize. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we face in our lives, in our society now, especially with COVID and with, with social distancing is, is feeling distant from people and feeling alone and isolated. Um, but through this experience, I think I've come away with a deeper appreciation for um, how many people there really are in our lives who care and um, who are willing to sacrifice for you. I mean, complete strangers, you know, people were sending me notes and, uh, you know, we had lots of baskets and cards and (laughs) all kinds of things coming to the house and, you know, and, and our, and our, our congregation um, was just so incredibly kind and, and, you know, we're praying for us in our family and, and I could feel it. And I, I, I've never felt so um, um, appreciative of the people in my life. And, and I think maybe of all things that has been the most humbling is to know how many people there are that care and, um, and that you can lean on them. You know, that when, when push comes to shove, um, people really do rise to the occasion and, and, and are standing by you more than, you know, you may ever realize. So I'm just incredibly grateful for my, my wife and my kids who were just, you know, and I think about the trauma that they went through when you find out that your dad has, you know, fallen a hundred feet down a, <laughs> a boulder field and is off to the emergency room for who knows how long. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm so grateful that, um, I'm, I'm thankful for their support because it must've been traumatic for them too. Um, and then I guess I'm also just incredibly grateful to the doctors and the rescue team and, and, and also especially to my friends, you know, who were there with me on the Hill that were so calm and so collected and so positive and worthy, um, you know, to do what they did. And, and I, I wouldn't, I, I honestly don't think I would be here today if they hadn't been with me. Um, so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I, I think the other thing that I have really, I'm still thinking about this one too, Britt, which is, is the process of deliverance. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is life is supposed to be, um, a balance of joy and sorrow. You know, yeah. we, we come to appreciate the joys when we go through hard things. And if we expect to get through life without any sort of challenges or trials, what we're really saying is we're probably not going to have the extent of joy and happiness that we could have. And so it's hard to say, but, you know, sometimes the trials refine us and they help us and they strengthen us um, because uh, we become stronger um, and we rely more on our Heavenly Father. Um, so the the fact of the matter is, though, that we can't always know how the Lord's going to deliver us. And in some cases, he may not. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is some people get killed in avalanches, you know, or some people have paralyzing injuries after an accident like this. I have a good friend who fell off a horse, you know, 30 years ago, and he's still in a wheelchair. Yeah. And um, I, I feel almost some sense of um, survivor guilt sometimes, you know, that I, I didn't have that happen to me when I, I probably could have and should have happened. Yeah. Um, but so the deliverance doesn't always come in the way that we expect. And um, it's not going to be the same for everybody. And it's usually not on our timeline because we want things to be over as soon as possible. Yes. <laughs> um, but we have to have... Uh, a lot of trust. And, and I think that's been one of the biggest lessons for me is that I have to learn to, to trust that um, my heavenly father knows me. He knows what I need. He knows what I need to go through and he's going to help me in the little miracles that, you know, the miracles of not all the things that didn't happen to me that could have on the hill, you know, and, and for some people they'd say, well, if God really loved you, why did he let you fall in the first place? Well, yeah think it's because he does love me that he let that happen. And maybe, you know, he knew that was going to happen 10 years ago when I started to have arthritis in my neck, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as a way to protect me. But um, I, I have to just say that I know that he loves me and that he wants the best for me. And so I have to trust that the refiner's fire is for my good. Yeah. And that ultimately, um, you know, I, I, I can't say how it's going to end. I don't know how I am. Um, I don't know how the Lord is going to help us, but I do know that in the end, he always will. And through big and little miracles, he will give us exactly what we need. And so it just requires a lot of patience, a lot of faith and trust that he's going to, he's, he is going to lift us up at the last day and and that scripture, um, 
from Isaiah has uh, taken on new meaning, you know, they that wait upon the Lord <laughs> um, will mount up with wings as eagles. Um, and they'll walk and not be weary. They'll run and not be weary and walk and not faint. And and I can't say I, anything better than that. I, I would hate to outquote Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can't. So <laughs> I don't, I, I can't, <laughs> but I think that's, that's a challenge for each of us is to, to be the one who waits upon the Lord. Um, and to trust that someday, you know, um, we will get, we'll get the edges knocked off in the process, but we will mount up with wings as eagles. I love that. Um, that, that speaks to my heart. Um, I think partly because of, you know, I, I think people with the eye condition that I have and that I'm losing my eyesight and um, I have to just turn it over to the Lord and um, trust him, like you mentioned, and to have that faith that he can see the big picture. And even though I can't, and um, I, I'm willing to do what he asked me to do and to learn and to grow. And, and one day, you know, I won't have to wait anymore and it'll all make sense. Um, but I, I, I love that scripture and I, that's yes, that speaks to my heart. I know you kind of mentioned this, but I just kind of wanted to end on this note is, um, and you, you, like I said, you mentioned it a little before about feeling the love of the savior during this time and, um, through others and angels seen and unseen and, your ward family and friends and fam, you know, everyone, but how, in what ways specifically that you would like to share? Um, have you really felt the love of our heavenly father and our savior during this time, whether it's been you or the family or what specifically sticks out to you in that, those moments? Um, that's a good question. I, um, I would say there's really two, two ways that I've thought about that. Um, the first is like I mentioned through other people and the, the love that I felt um, extended to me and to my family by, by people all across our stake and just friends from um, all corners of my life who would, they would find out, you know, that this had happened to me. And then they just call me and say, what happened? And, you know, we're, we're praying for you and we, we care about you. And then, you know, finding out, uh, you know, even weeks later, I, one, one of the ones that just killed me was I found out that a grandniece of mine had been praying for me consistently. Um, and, and that just, that, you know, the, the faith of a child, um, is a powerful thing. So, um, I'm sorry. I'm such a crybaby. That's okay. So am I. So it's, it's good. So we're the same. Um, so keep it it's fine. Don't, don't apologize must, for that. Must, must be genetic. Right? I, must be. That's really strange. <laughs> um, but you know, knowing that there were so many people who cared and were praying and, and were concerned and, and just people that, you know, would come out of the blue and just show up on our doorstep one night and drop off a meal. And it's like, Oh, I can't believe how nice people are. (laughs) So, you know, that, that was the first way that that love was exhibited just so tangibly. And, and it just was an incredible comfort. 
Um, the other way that I, I've been thinking about this, um, it's a little more esoteric, is that when I was sitting on the mountain, um, I, I could feel a sense of um, almost independence. And, and there's a term that they use in uh, meditation called equanimity, where you, you're able to see life uh, from a pretty objective perspective. It's like you just take it, um, you, you're, you're just at peace when you, even in the midst of chaos, you can still just see and appreciate things um, as they are. And, and I'd kind of heard about this or learned about this principle earlier this year. And, and then one day I was reading the scriptures and I just had this impression that, you know, the love of Christ is like that in that um, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, in the, in the midst of the worst pain in the world, whatever it may be, um, if we have faith in Christ, if we rely on him and know that no matter what, no matter how bad things get, he always loves us. That just gives me the greatest sense of independence that I can imagine. And, and, it, and it almost makes you feel, I don't want to say uh, liberated, but yeah, it's almost like you're liberated from fear and from worry. It doesn't mean that things are always going to be good, you know, and that there's not going to be trials. In fact, sometimes I think maybe the Lord sends more things <laughs> your way <laughs> once he knows He's he needs to that. test you, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I just, I, I have come away with this, this really interesting, I, I shouldn't even call it interesting. It's been interesting to me of that perspective that, um, you know, when we truly appreciate and understand and believe in the fact that God loves us perfectly, he loves us no matter what, that it lets us rise above whatever, you know, judgment from friends or trouble at work or trouble in the family or whatever the crisis in our lives may be. When I know that God loves me perfectly and knows me perfectly, then it gives me the greatest sense of liberation and independence and freedom from that I can imagine. And, and it makes me want to become um, a better person. You know, it makes me want to be worthy of the love that I don't have to be worthy for. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, that's how I've thought about it. I, yeah. And I, it's funny how the Lord works sometimes, you know, he's very good at hit what he does. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. really good. Um, he, he definitely has his way that reaches each of us and in, in our own ways on how to make us better and help us grow. And even though we may not feel like we need to or want to, he's always there with us and getting us to realize that it's okay to push and do hard things and that he's there by our side. Um, I want to just thank you um, for taking the time to talk with me and um, to share your story. Um, I know anyone that's listening um, can see your heart and see how amazing of a person you are and the light that comes from you and your story and your perspective of all these things that have happened to you. And um, you've, you've taught me 
um, many things, even before this accident. And I'm just truly grateful for you. And I'm grateful that you are here and you're recovering. And um, I love you. So thank you for thank you for coming and, and talking with us and and talking about the tender mercies and those special hugs from heaven that you definitely got that day and continue to, I should say. Yeah. Well, thank you, Britt. And it's, it's an honor to be with you and you are um, every bit as much or more of a light to so many. And I appreciate all you're doing. Well, thank you, Stu. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I am so grateful for each of you and I hope and pray that especially this episode um, has touched your heart and you have been able to feel a hug from heaven um, and that you can have the eyes to see those hugs from heaven, big or small, that come every day. And I know that our Savior loves us and that God loves us and that He works miracles and tender mercies every single day in our lives. And sometimes it's a process and sometimes it takes time to understand how He's working and why things happen the way they do. But He loves us so much. And I think if anything in this story that we've heard today that Hopefully you've been able to feel that love from our Savior and our Heavenly Father and that He's aware of you. And just like my uncle said, that He loves each of us perfectly and knows each of us perfectly. And that can each give us the hope that we need, that we can have a better tomorrow. So thank you again for listening. I hope you each have an amazing week and we'll see you on our next episode.